Welcome to Into the Colaverse, a podcast that takes us on the unique journeys of faculty in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Join me, your host, Frederick Luis Aldama, as we learn of the many ways that our faculty and their cutting-edge work is transforming the world today. It is my great honor to be here with Adela Pineda Franco, who's an award-winning scholar and the Lozano Long Endowed Professor in Latin American Literary and Cultural Studies and the Director of LILAS at the University of Texas, Austin. Welcome, Adela. Hello, how are you? I am so, so excited and so well and just really happy to be here, Adela. Let's jump right in and talk about this. I just, I know it's going to be a little sliver of the big, big story, but how you ended up uh, where you are and kind of the origin story. Was there something, I don't know, was there something in the water you were drinking as a kid that kind of somehow led you to become an <laughs> academic, but also someone who's curating and doing all this incredible work, building, you know, cultural studies spaces? Yeah, tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure, Frederick, thank you. Um well, I come from a regular, I would say, middle-class Mexican family. But my parents came from two very different backgrounds. My mother was or came from the central area of Mexico, and my father from the very south part of the country, from a very small city called Tehuantepec. Tehuantepec is famous for... You know, the, the food, but also the folklore, uh, which Diego Rivera and Pida Kahlo brought to prominence in the, in the 20s and 40s, right? But my, my father came from a very poor origin. My grandmother's first language was Zapotec, and she didn't have any opportunity to go to formal school. And she, had, she was a single mother and had to come, but she was very bright. I knew that the only way her two kids could do something in life was leaving Tehuantepec and sending them the big city, to Mexico City, to study. And so she believed in education. So my father, from that very poor background, became a physician and then stayed in the central part of Mexico. My mother came from a different family. She was middle class, but she was 11 years older than my father, and no, no woman in, in her family side had gone to the university. So she was the first one, and um, she did at all odds, because during those years, there were not too many um, you know, chemists. And my mother just you know got a degree um, and thought that she was never going to get married, because people told her that she was ugly, you know, those, those very good times. And so I guess, like, they thought that the only way for a person to do something in life, and that was like the mid-60s when I was born, um, was through formal education. They did a big effort to give me that. They also believed that bringing cultures together, my father being, you know, from Zapotec origin, speaking Zapotec and Spanish, they knew that languages were also important. But they also pushed me to learn languages from an early age. And 
that's that's what they did. And I guess um, I was brought up thinking that cultural knowledge was important, but also remembering that there were many sorts of cultures. I learned a lot from my grandma, from the Huantepec. Um, I learned from her stories and from her life so um, I guess I had many interests, um, you know, from mathematics, culture, and so I, I had to choose a degree. So when I studied my bachelor's, I did like a liberal arts type of thing. And I knew that there were two things I liked. One was literature and language, the other was history. My passion for visual arts came later when I was already writing um, my second book. But I can tell you a little bit about that. So that's kind of my origin. And Adela, how this is like extraordinary. And how did you get, you know, it's not often that we get the idea of, um, you know, it's very difficult sometimes to think about our lives in a different country. So how did you, you know, decide that a master's and then PhD at the University of Texas, Austin was going to be the path for you? Well, um, you know, things, I think opportunities come sometimes to you and you just grab them. When I was an undergraduate student at the University of Mexico, I had a professor who was an American. He wrote a book that was called Gringos in Mexico. He was an English teacher and I learned a lot from him. And he told me, you know, when you finish your bachelor's, you should apply for an E.D. Farmer Fellowship. I didn't even know what the Farmer Fellowship, I didn't know anything about UT Austin, but he just pushed me. And then he said, I think you would do well if you study Latin American studies at UT Austin. Had a, had a long time friendship with some colleagues that were Latin Americanists here at UT. So, you know, I applied, not really knowing what I was doing, to be honest with you. Um, I just came, and that's when I. Um, understood Latin America from the perspective of a different country. And I understood my country better as well. And I became a citizen of two countries. Um, so that's that's the way it was. It was through a mentor that I landed in Texas. And some of your early work has been on very important authors like Alfonso Reyes and, of course, John Steinbeck. But as you just mentioned, kind of bringing a more global perspective, um, kind of both sides of the border to these different uh, writers, creatives, philosophers. Um, can you tell us maybe a little bit about your discoveries there and your particular angle on these figures? But And then we'll move into this sort of beautiful pathway that you've been carving with visual technologies and print journalism and cinema. Sure. Um, I feel like I always had a very wide idea of God or anthropological or sociological, not only literary, um, as was my formation. In fact, my, my, my undergraduate was about popular music, was about a composer called Agustin. Uh, because, you know, I, I, I thought that um, his music was very interesting in the 20s and how it became kind of like a modern type of romantic composer at the time when this was modernized. And what I realized even then was that 
culture has many sources that like it's always a song of it's a contact song. We are always immersed in different in different um, you know worldviews, perspectives, and the way we make sense of the way we think is the result of those contact songs. And when I started reading these authors, you know, these canonical authors who sometimes seem very elitist in a way, you know, like Alfonso Reyes or Steinbeck, I did it through their archives. And I realized in their archives that that they were actually not interesting only because of what they were, but because of the people they met. Um, and this was from, you know, people working from them and like, you know, doing basic research to luminaries, to, you know, cinema um, people, to politicians, ambassadors, fighters. So I thought that what made these people interesting was that they were able to bring in their writing, even if it, does, it was hidden, the worldview of a time. And the worldview of a time is not that of an of a country. It is that country in relation to others or community relations to others. Adela, in your latest book, The Mexican Revolution on the World Stage, what and you, this is, you know, your visual research, the technologies of storytelling, both during the um, the Mexican Revolution, but also after. What are some of our the big kind of takeaways, especially for those of you, us who might not be focused in that particular area of history and research? What what can we learn from this important work of yours from the period of 1940 to 1970? maybe about today, about um, creatives kind of working um, in and around these spaces, especially kind of American, U.S. American, but also world. Yeah, what are some, what are some takeaways that we might have? Sure. Um, you know, the Mexican Revolution is um, a site of nationalism. Um, there has been so much written about the Mexican Revolution in terms of nation-state building, the bibliography is huge. It's very difficult to actually encompass all the reading that the study of this revolution. But what I found fascinating was that there is a side of the revolution that has been not so much studied, and it is its technological side, its popular side. The revolution um, break or began when cinema as a technology began as well. Even before World War I, the Mexican Revolution was the first revolution to be mechanically through film. And I noticed that the revolution, there was the battles, and you know, Pancho Villa and Zapata and all, all those battles, but there were also the battle of images since the very beginning of the revolution how you could win hearts by winning imaginary. And I thought that this aspect of the Mexican Revolution was fascinating, how a very specific historical event that had very concrete reasons, causes, 
could trigger the imagination of so many other people? Why is it that it became a site to think through what revolution means in the wider sense, not only for Mexico? What does it mean uh, to start a social movement? What does it mean for intellectuals to use the technology of um, to reflect on emancipation, on so many other questions that traverse the 20th century? So the, the period I study from 1940s to 1970 is a period of the, the kind of like when the revolution became nationalized, became stat, you know, became the the yeah the, the symbol of a state, but. It did keep triggering a very interesting reflection. And that's what I did in this book. You know, I went to the Cold War. I went to the depression of the United States. How this archive of the Mexican Revolution could let us think about fascism, about socialism. How can it was an idea of, you know, how people could think of post-colonial liberation movements. So that was that I found fascinating by studying the filmmakers who also navigated between intellectual thought and popular culture. Are you seeing something analogous today? Um, you know, either you know, with the way Mexico um, is you know, constructing its visual imaginary in relation to the North Americas or just globally? Um, yeah, I, I would say that um, there are several ways to think that question. One is that certain technologies determine the way um, we produce and disseminate knowledge, ideas, or imaginaries. The era of, of film and revolution was the one I was studying. In our century, the century of digital technology and internet has really democratized uh, uh, the way we convey ideas and imaginaries. So also the figure of the letter intellectual is not so prominent in, you know, conveying social change, etc. We have now several communities that have access to these new technologies to express their worldviews. And I, what is so fascinating of our times, of course, th there are other challenges imposed by technology themselves because we live in more flexible time, more definite, like, you know, like to say that you can tie power or that you can have a definite change social change is very difficult. Um, and I think it's something that we should study or focus. But this is what I can say, you know, that like in Mexico, um, you have many social movements. You have now many other fronts, the role of women in politics, the role of indigenous communities expressing their own rights, um, the way we can um, use um, Know, technology like you know, um, before some filmmakers would say like I have an idea in my head and a camera in my hand that was Claudia Rocha uh, 
uh, motto. But now this is every day. You know, we we do that every day. Because I think this is for the researcher. Our times shows new challenges. Really exciting, um, Adela. I know that you are also doing research right now. Is is that um, an area that you're looking into? Yeah. Um, well, I am doing two type of research that are really not so related. One has to do um, with the time I know well, the 40s and the 70s. And I want to study um, a family called the Revuel Revueltas. You know, there was a writer, a composer, a painter, and a dramatic act actress. And through them, I want to do a history of those areas, music, painting, uh, writing, and, and drama, um, by engaging their life stories with the world. Um, I want to do that because at the Benson, we have the Jose Revueltas papers was a writer and a filmmaker. Um, and so this is a very concise project. My, my most ambitious, ambitious project has to do with the relationship between the literature, which is my area, and technologies. And I want to study the 19th century. And the idea is to think of literature, not so much in only aesthetic terms, but to think of literature as symptoms of changes in perception as we were impacted by technologies like, you know, film, the phonograph, the typewriter, but then later on, digital technology. And I wanna come to, you know, end the book maybe in our time, but that book is going to take a while and maybe more years because of my administrative position now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Adela, of the, authors that you love what might can you throw out maybe a couple of names for our listeners to go to to look up um to read to in, in, enjoy to learn from yes well um there is a mexican writer uh, like contemporary writer i, I really like his name is and written three novels and like I think two short stories collections. The last one is a science fiction. The novels have been translated into English um, and these novels are about current issues in Mexico, like drug trafficking, you know, migration. Um, but the way it conveys challenges not in a very realistic or sociological mood, but in a more symbolic and philosophical way. And I think he's a very good writer and he would enjoy, I mean, I think people would enjoy reading. Adela, what are some, I'm sorry, what, uh, could you repeat the, the name of the author and maybe a couple of titles if, if they come to mind? Yes. So his most his well-known novel in English is called "Time Preceding the End of the World," and the author is Yuri Y U R I Herrera H E R R E R A. 
And this is a fascinating novel. It's a short one. It's easy to read, and I really recommend it. The other writer I think is uh, very interesting to, to read now is, her name is Cristina Rivera Garza. Um, the Benson is acquiring her archives. Um, and she is well known for her knowledge of avant-garde in literary writing, but mostly because she is also a fighter for women's rights in Mexico. Her last book, or more recent book, is about her sister who was assassinated when she was in her 20s. And, and it's a very powerful book uh, that making a big impact in Mexico about the problem of feminicide. Those two contemporary writers I recommend highly. Beautiful. Adela, I know you're doing so much there um, at the Benson. Can you share maybe a couple of, um, I don't know, visions, goals, aims that you have for us at UT Austin? Well, um, I think um, UT has probably, a, you know, the best Latin American studies to, in the country and the best Latin American collection in the country. Um, having a partnership between these two institutions, the institute and the collection, is something very unique. I think we are very fortunate to be able to dynamize archive, our archival knowledge through research and teaching. I think this is what makes Lila's Benson such a unique day. I also think is um, our understanding of Latin American studies from a horizontal perspective, thinking that Latin America is not a social laboratory to study problems, thinking that there is a site of exchange of ideas, of knowledge, and that we can learn a lot from Latin America as well. I think the philosophy that has made Lila Stenson a very Oh my gosh, yes, so needed, so necessary. And I'm so excited to be with you at this epicenter for the real push for this kind of horizontal exchange, interchange of knowledge of the Americas. Adela, um, thank you so much for taking the time to share a little bit of your journey with us. And gosh, just you know, it's wonderful to be your colleague. Thank you, Frederick. I have to say the same. I feel so happy and honored to be your colleague. And I'm so glad you are at UT Austin and that we can share many interests. And thank you for giving me this space to talk about myself. Into the Colaverse is produced by the University of Texas at Austin's College of Liberal Arts. Sound Engineering by the Liberal Arts Instructional Technology Services. You can find Into the Coliverse podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening and see you next time.